Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hello, and welcome to It's Complicated with me, Tanya Goodin. The podcast to help you untangle your relationship with your phone. This is a podcast about learning to live healthily and happily with technology and the digital world and understanding why sometimes that's so hard to do. I'm your host, Tanya Goodin, author and founder of digital well-being movement, Time to Log Off. Each week, I'll be asking a new guest how they can help us with the relationship with the tiny tyrant in our pocket, our smartphone. How much do we really all know about how to keep ourselves safe online in a world where cyber criminals are becoming even more sophisticated and creative? How can we help younger people in our lives understand that sharing data publicly may make them vulnerable? And how can we help older generations who may be exactly the type of people much more likely to fall for those kind of text phishing scams that were going around a lot during lockdown. My guest today is the perfect person to talk about all things cybercrime. Jack Resider is the host of a fantastic podcast called Darknet Diaries, which features true crime stories from the dark side of the internet. He's chatting to me today about all things cybercrime and keep yourselves safe, sharing some of the most shocking stories Um, that he's shared on his podcast and telling us about a few things we all really need to know a bit more about. Sim swapping, for example, which I didn't know very much about before my conversation with Jack. If you have got a smartphone, which let's face it, we all have, you really need to know about just how easy it is for somebody to get control of your sim and therefore get control of your phone and all of your online life. Um, This was an absolutely gripping episode for me to record. I could have spent a lot more time chatting to Jack, um, but I think the snippets that he shared are going to be really useful and fascinating, I think, for all of you. So I really hope you enjoy it. So Jack, hi. It's um, great to have you on It's Complicated. Oh, well, thanks for inviting me to your show. This should be a lot of fun. I wanted to get you on because I have become such a fan of your podcast, Darknet Diaries. I think one of the questions I get asked a lot, particularly I have to say by teenage boys when I talk to them in schools, but a lot by their parents, is what's this dark web? And is it something that 
the typical internet user even needs to worry about? <laughs> That's a big question, I know. Yeah, where do we begin with that one? <laughs> so there's this protocol called Tor that connects you to sort of a private group of computers out there, but they're kind of anonymous, which we, we could classify as the dark web. And on there, because we're anonymous and because um, you're sort of private, you uh, you know might have luxuries of doing things that you wouldn't want to do on the clear net, the regular internet that um, you use to do banking with and social media, right? So when we're private, what do we get to do? Well, some countries don't allow free speech. So now you can get on the dark web and say, okay, I have some stuff I really need to get out about my country and stuff like that. So you could use it as just a vehicle to speak openly without having you know worry that your government's going to come back to you and other things like that, maybe whistleblowers and or sharing private information that um, you don't want linked back to you. It could be used in that, but criminals use the dark web to trade drugs and illegal goods and stuff like that. There's the protocol itself, but then there's just all the hidden parts of the internet that things are going on as well. We've got private chat rooms and forums, underground forums, invite-only kind of stuff that is not on the dark web, but it's kind of a dark part of the internet that not many people know about, and there's shady things that go on there. There's dark spots all over the internet, I guess I'm trying to say. Yeah, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because we talk a lot about how the internet isn't regulated and how there's stuff going on, you know, that kind of governments aren't happy with. But but that's the surface of the internet, let alone everything that's going on underneath. It's interesting you say about governments and free speech, because I think the BBC for the first time last month actually was broadcasting, telling Russians how to use, is it the onion? browser mm -hmm. so they could get around um blocking news from outside russia yeah that's what i was mentioning earlier the tor protocol t-o-r stands for the onion router ah, and, and yeah. that's the protocol that kind of anonymizes and and puts you into this private kind of network on the internet where where there are websites that are only accessible on there and uh, forums and places and things to do um so yeah that's what the onion router is so when I last gave a talk in a school to a group of teenage boys, I was talking to them all about data privacy and about how they have to be really careful with their data. And a lot of social media companies and search engines are actively collecting the data. So they all very proudly said, well, you know, we use the tool protocol so we can get around all of that. And I thought, how do I explain to them that that in itself is not a very sensible idea when you're 14 and 15, when you're actually exposing yourself to the whole of the dark web. What, what would you say to teenagers sitting in their be bedrooms at the moment trying to get around parental controls or parents even, if they know that their kids are setting up VPNs and trying to get around protocols in order to access this part of the internet? Tor and a VPN are kind of are two different things. Tor is kind of like... Um... Yeah, you can use it to get around parental controls or deal restrictions and stuff like that. But you're kind of going through the back alleys, you know, the seedy, dark alleys of the Internet where there's some terrible things going on to get out into this place you need to get mm. to. Right. And so there you can you can veer off in the wrong direction and land on some websites that you really have no business being on. And so it's kind of a, a scary place, the dark web. 
Um, so that's Tor. But a VPN is just a connection to another computer in the world. So now when you're on the internet, it looks like you're coming from that computer. Yeah. So you, you pipe all your traffic to that first and then out. And that's not really as dark or uh, scary of a place to use. And so it's really not that bad of a thing to use a VPN. I, I recommend a VPN. It's kind of nice to uh, take the the prying eyes off of maybe your ISP or the building you're in. If you're in a coffee shop or something, mm. they can't really see what you're doing because you're connecting everything to that other computer first. But, you know, par parents do have a really tough time. I think what what parents typically want is like their kids to be safe and do well. And so you kind of just have to work together. Like if um, the parents might say, well, you need to have your homework done before you can start playing these online games and I'm going to restrict your internet until your homework is done. But then the kid figures out how to get around yeah. it to get on these online games and stuff. But yeah, I mean, it's just kind of a cooperation thing of, you know, let's work with the parents to figure it out. There's always going to be kids that are going to, figure out ways to get out of doing homework i guess yeah. and actually when i when i you know have sort of 13 and 14 year olds telling me they've set up vpns in order to get around parental controls i think of the kind of careers that that kind of skill could be or interest could be channeled into positively <laughs> at some point in the future Absolutely. the fact that they're so interested and motivated to actually work that out. there's a, I think there's something really positive that you can do with that as a parent. Absolutely. I think that's what my definition of a hacker is, is when you are stopped or restricted from doing something, there's just, you can't do that. And then they figure out a way around yeah. it, right? Well, we can, we can get it done doing this or going and doing that instead. And if you have that kind of mentality that you're hitting a wall and you're not you're blocked you're not allowed to do this but you're figuring out a way over it that's resilience yeah. that's a really great trait that you know willpower and all this kind of stuff that if nurtured properly can be a great thing that you can have in your life were you that kid hacking in the bedroom <laughs> working out how to get into places you shouldn't get into how did you end up doing what you're doing i took the the good path in life. I, I haven't really broken any laws when it comes to internet usage. Ever since I got on the internet, I was just amazed that you could connect the whole world with this one computer. Amazing. And so I got a degree in IT computer engineering and then spent 10 years doing network security engineering where I was kind of hardening the network, making things more secure so that attackers couldn't get in and kind of hadn't learned what they knew and practiced what they could do in order to know, you know, from their perspective, how, how to look at my network and protect it properly. And now I work exclusively on the podcast, Darknet Diaries, which goes into the world of cybercrime and stories about hacking and stuff like that. So a couple of the words or phrases that you use in, in your podcast that I thought I'd ask you to explain, I think you might have just explained when you talk about a red team member, is that what your job was? Tell us what a red team member is. Mm. Yeah, so the military has this terminology of red team and blue team, where the blue team is the simulated defenders and the red team is the simulated attackers. And we, you can use that in cybersecurity, where we have a defending team and we have an attacking team. But the attacking team, the red team, isn't the actual cyber criminals out there attacking. It's it's a simulated yeah. attacking kind of scenario. So you have somebody who is skilled at actual hacking techniques and stuff, and you, you let them loose in your network and say, hey, if you were to attack us, what would be the ways that you could get in? And so and a, a red teamer might be a penetration tester who um, will 
uh, try to get into your building, see if they can sneak in through security or through a back door or uh, unlocked uh, gate or something like that. And then once they get into the building, what could they do? They can plant a computer, you know, uh, behind a plant or something like that. And um, then get into your network remotely from their hotel room or whatever. And it's kind of fun to do this activity to see what would a hacker do if they were trying to get into your network. So that's kind of what the red team is and the blue team is the ones on the other side defending it, looking for any strange connections, any you know unauthorized access and this kind of thing, and then investigating and, and looking into it. I was on the blue team so defending you're the good guys. and looking for You're one of the good guys. <laughs> I think the red team is part of the good guys. I mean, they're hired. As long as you know who they are, yeah, and you've hired them, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, also, what's yeah. a social engineer? You, you. I mean, I kind of got the gist of it from the podcast, but you mentioned that term a lot in the context of cybercrime. We could use it for that. It's just somebody who uses um, a human, like they use the human to hack into something, right? So you might say, "Well, I need, I need the password to this thing. How am I going to get it?" Well, why don't you call up the person who has the password and try to convince them to tell it to you? And so you might call up someone and say, hey, I'm part of IT. I'm doing a uh, password audit. I've seen that your password hasn't been changed. Um, you know, but yeah, I don't know. You can make some, something right. And I was just wanted to confirm that the password I have on record and the password you have is the same or something. You could you could mm. do something to convince them. And if it's not that, then maybe you can send them an email to say, hey, you need to log in to enable your benefits for this quarter. But then the, the link is really a website to the red team or the penetration tester or the social engineers website. And so they go in thinking they're logging into the company, but really they just gave their username and password to that person. So what could we do to trick a human to give their password to you or whatever else you want? You might need access to something, entrance into a building. And so social engineering is just that. It's it's attacking the human element to do something that you that they shouldn't be doing. There was a case I don't know if it was last year or the beginning of this year. I think it was somewhere in the south of France where a bank manager was tricked into transferring a huge sum of money because a voice simulation was made to sound like his client's voice. So the guy rang him up and said, I need you to transfer these funds. I think it was supposed to be from an acquisition. And he transferred millions of pounds on the basis of one phone call, absolutely being sure that it was his client. We've seen a lot of these attacks where they're going after the person who has control of the company's bank account or the CEO, impersonating the CEO or the president and saying, uh, yeah, this is an email from the CEO. Please transfer a million dollars to our new partner. We're going to be setting up you know, shop. And if you see an email from the CEO that says to do this and you're the person who usually mm -hmm. does that, you might be the one who sends the money erroneously so yeah i've seen that happen quite and a bit i suppose people are a more easily manipulated point of weakness than a computer aren't they i mean i guess that's why it's so lucrative yeah i think it's the forever day the the unpatched vulnerability kind of thing even nation state attackers do this sort of thing you've got the fbi cia um cia specifically does a lot of human intelligence where they're going into other countries convincing somebody who works in a foreign embassy or foreign intelligence to give them information. And they're doing things like tricking them and manipulating them, making them think that they're someone else, that they aren't, and uh, all these kind of tricks. It's a very old technique. 
but it's it's been proven to be effective for <laughs> over 100 years i'm guessing at this point so if you're you know anyone working in a company or, or just at home and somebody's trying to get information out of you how do you know whether you're, i mean obviously you don't yeah. give out information that you shouldn't do but it, it sounds like we're at the stage now where we have to triple verify everything so you know if i got an email from someone or you know something i get a lot of is like you have unpaid tax bills please call yeah. us and, look yeah. and sort it out i will contact the irs and say can you confirm that this is true uh, or if somebody says hey uh your your grandpa is in trouble you need to send him some money to get out of jail or something i'll call my grandpa up and say hey are you actually in trouble do you need yeah. money before you know, rushing to, you know, sending some money or whatever. Because some of these are, are pretty like, you need to do this urgently. Don't think about mm -hmm. it. Just just hurry up and do it. And yeah, if you get an, a letter from the CEO that says send a million dollars, sorry, I just need to confirm that this is true. I got an email from you. Is that actually what you want me to do? I just had a sneaking suspicion about this one. And sorry if I'm bothering you, you know, but I, I just want to double check. Yeah. You kind of have to do that. Even when you have people in your office maybe who, you're walking through a door and they're walking behind you, not badging in like you're supposed to, right? Um, you can you can even uh, close the door and say, sorry, but security protocol says you need to badge in. Um, I'm not trying to be rude. Be the person who you know is not going to be the one that fails this security audit mm -hmm. or test or, or even real scenario, right? So you, you can rest assured that you did your due diligence to double check everything. So two of the recent episodes, I don't know if they're recent actually, but they're the two that really st stuck out for me on the Darknet Diaries about some of the stuff that can go wrong online. One was, I don't know if you called it the bullying by pizza story, but I remember it as a bullying by pizza story, <laughs> which was, yeah, horrific, actually. Maybe you'd like to tell everyone because I feel like this is this is a story that is not beyond the realms of possibility could happen to any one of us. Yeah, that's kind of the scary thing is some of these stories are not targeting companies yeah. or uh, businesses. Instead, they're targeting individuals like you and me. And when those crosshairs come towards us, it feels like the wind does change and things feel differently. On this particular one, somebody had a, I think it was an Instagram username that was a short a short username i think it was three letters or two letters or something like that when you have anything on instagram or facebook or twitter or something there's only one username that can have that username one person so they become kind of sought after things and so a two-letter username is a big deal it's like wow you have that a lot of other people want that so there are people who are asking them hey can i buy that from you and all the sort of things but then there are th there's a there's a market for this. People are buying and selling usernames. And um, one person wanted to sell it on the market and make some money. You could maybe sell it for $10,000. And so they were like, I'm going to go and see what I can do to attack this person who has the two-letter username and everything I can to uh, just bully them to give it up. And, and you know, you want, this, you want this harassment to stop, give me your username kind of thing. One of the things they did was they found where the person lived and ordered pizzas to their house and just continually sent pizzas like three at night from different pizza companies. And so the pizza driver would arrive, knock on the door, say, here's your pizza, please pay us some money. And they'd say, we didn't order pizza, go away, like over and over and over. And um, 
yeah, I mean, there's other things that people can do. They can order taxi cabs to come to your house or other delivery service kind of things that are pay on arrival. It's a weird bullying system that um, it seems to work in some cases. People just want the bullying to stop and harassment to stop because it's just relentless and endless. I mean, it went on for a long time, didn't it? Whoever wanted this handle just did not give up. That was the thing that I found really kind of chilling. And also you were talking about how it was something the police couldn't do anything about in the US. And actually I was thinking it's probably exactly the same in the UK. It's one of those things that falls in between a crime. I mean, you know, how do you report someone for sending you pizza morning, noon and night? Um, yeah. yeah, it's really tricky for the police. They they have a really tough time investigating cybercrime. A lot of times they're just not outfitted for it. They don't have the resources or capabilities to figure it out. Oftentimes the attacker is from another state or country partly around the world, wherever it is. And uh, it's like, yeah, we uh, we have more important things mm -hmm. to do. But even some of the more important crimes, they still have a tough time investigating when it comes to computer stuff. I think that's going to change over time. I think some some police units are ramping up on and, and getting better at investigating this sort of thing. And sometimes when the crime is big enough, they can really move fast and issue search warrants for ISPs. I've heard of stories where at the same time, this person's Instagram was getting uh, messaged and on Instagram saying, you know, the pizzas are going to keep coming until you give me the thing. And so in that case, the police can go to Instagram and say, who owns this account that's sending these and Instagram collects people's, you know, name and phone number and IP yeah. address and all this kind of stuff. And so they can turn that over to the police and then the police can start looking, okay, this is the IP it's coming from. Where's that? It's coming from this maybe hotel. Let's, let's uh, you know, subpoena that hotel. And now the hotel has to say which guests are staying at that time. And then they can start investigating each of those guests. So, yeah, I mean, the police could work really fast at it if they uh, really had the motivation to do it. And some crimes, they do work fast at it. As a kind of a follow-up to that story... There was another one where the bullying escalated and it turned into swatting. It's where the person who wanted the Instagram or Twitter account would call the police, a 911, whatever, and say, um, pose as the person who owns that account, say, I'm this person and this is where I live and I just killed my wife and I, oh I'm going gosh. to blow up the house next. And then so the, the police, police would swarm to the house. house. Oh my God. Yes. So, yes, this swatting is, is pretty common. And, um, yeah, that's kind of what uh, that one escalated to. But uh, after, like, I think the third or fourth swatting incident of somebody trying to just get, you know, usernames, uh, the police found kind of some commonalities in the voice and all this kind of stuff and arrested two people who were, who were swatting people over over Instagram names. I mean, what was depressing about the bullying by pizza story is as I was listening to it, I was thinking, so surely this is going to have a good ending where the guy held out, dealt with a deluge of pizza and kept his handle. But but he gave in, didn't he? He just decided he'd, he could not deal with the volume of stuff that was being thrown at him. So that particular cyber criminal probably, you know, they got a payday out of that. They made $10,000, $20,000 or whatever from selling that handle because he just turned it over to him. Yeah, it's, it's really sad sometimes. Yeah. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. 
And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. The other story that stuck in my mind, and it wasn't because it was a celebrity, because it was actually the ex-Prime Minister of Australia, I think. It was because I've seen this particular thing <laughs> happen so many times, which is the posting your boarding pass on the internet story, <laughs> which was, again, really fascinating because of all the things that you could post on the internet. I guess the only reason I would think that's not a good idea is it would tell people you're away from home. But in fact, I'm gonna let you tell this, there's a lot more you can find out when you post a boarding pass on the internet, isn't there? Yeah, so I mean, a lot of people do this as like, hey, I'm going on a trip, look at where I'm headed, and and it's you know good for Instagram or whatever. But um, what's the danger there? And there was a story that I covered where a young man in Australia wanted to find out. And so he saw that the ex-prime minister of Australia had posted his boarding pass. And from there, this young person was able to collect all kinds of data. They were able to find the prime minister's name and address and phone number and eventually their social security number, whatever the equivalent is in Australia. And um, actually like get quite a bit of information from just the boarding pass. It's one of those things that maybe to you and me giving out a little bit of data doesn't seem to be that big of a deal Mm. and we just can't visualize it in our head of like how would this possibly come back to but in the right hands with the right person with the right motivation and intention and creativity they can use that really really effectively maybe that was the last bit of information they needed uh, to um reset your password on your email or something because sometimes when we have these like backup words or you know these backup 
questions and stuff to get into our email accounts. Those are supposed to be like private questions and stuff, right? But if you're posting little bits of data or if things show up on, on your timeline or whatever of like, yeah, this, this is where I went and I'm visiting my first high school. Yeah. And then, you know, <laughs> you should have pictures of this and yet your first high school is one of your, yeah. you know, And here's a picture of my first part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's one of those things that we've got to just be really careful on. It's probably better not to share anything online publicly and, uh, keep it keep yourself off there and uh not not you know give too much information because criminals can use that information against us yeah you see, it's interesting because i do get asked that question a lot by kids who say why should i care what does it matter to me and i can't always answer their question because i can't say definitively this is how this data will be used at some point in the future against you i have to say to a teenager who may not be very good at thinking 10 years in advance <laughs> I don't know, but something could, as you say, in the wrong hands, this could be used. It's quite a difficult mm. concept to get over to teens, I think, who are really encouraged to share everything. Yeah, I think the ironic part about that is they're probably going to grow up and wake up and say, wow, what did the previous generation do to us? Yeah, <laughs> we yeah. really need to turn this around. There's way too much invasion of privacy here with marketing companies and facial recognition companies and all these places that just have so much information on us that where there's just zero privacy anymore. And I've, I kind of feel like in the 90s, we, uh, we had all kinds of environmental disasters. We had like oil spills and just really horrible things that we kind of opened our eyes and said, hey, you know, we should be actually looking at the environment a little bit more closely and taking care of it. And that's when a lot of more green movements started coming up, like, hey, we got to take care of this planet. And it was that generation that really realized it, right? It wasn't the generation before mm -hmm. that. And so I think somewhere in the future, we're going to have a generation that's like, while we've really screwed up with letting way too much private information out in the public, we need to completely undo that and, and it's going to take decades to fix mm. that problem i think i mean just some rattling off some ideas is that if somebody has your you know information just think about what what's valuable in your life right so they have they can access your pictures of maybe your private life and maybe you have some revealing pictures that you do not want to get public maybe you have some messages or some emails or some texts that you do not want to be public or maybe you have some cryptocurrency or digital assets that are yours and if somebody takes it that could be very devastating to you you have credit cards whatever that if somebody were to get into your bank account they could steal your money or take your credit card credit cards kind of feel a little bit protected because you can call the bank and say, yeah, I didn't make these yeah. charges and they can fix it. But that's not always the case. They might not side with you or they might see something else and, and maybe they cancel you as a customer and now you don't have a, a credit card and maybe that makes you suffer in other ways. So there's, there's lots of unintended consequences. Our lives are just so digital now. Even cars can be disabled remotely, digitally and all this kind of stuff. So you can have a whole world of harassment come down on you as well if people just feel like turning against you or you have that kind of dog pile mob mentality. So lots of really bad things can happen to you just because your digital life is, uh, or your life is so digital these days. And it's just best to maintain your privacy and a step away from that so that it doesn't affect you as badly if something did go wrong. So I've told you two stories that I really loved on Darknet Diaries. Is there something you've covered recently or is there a kind of issue that you think 
actually this is something that people need to know a bit more about? Yeah, I think uh, the thing I'm fascinating with these days is people sim swapping and stealing. Or did we talk about no, sim swapping? I don't no. think we did. So sim swapping is where, um, let's say they want your Instagram or Twitter account, but you won't give it up uh, and they have your phone number. They might decide to somehow call the uh, phone company and claim to be you. And they have enough information to be you because they've looked at your whole digital life and they have it all. And so if this phone company says, well, let's prove it to you. What's your social security number or something? And you, well, you have that. And so they, they claim to be you and say, I got a new phone. Please move this number to my new phone's SIM card. And so you give them the SIM ID and then they say, oh, okay, here. And so, I mean, when you get a new phone, you've got to port it yeah. to the new phone, yeah. right? You got to port your number. So if somebody does that to you, they can steal your phone number. And now whenever you get a call or a text, it goes to their phone, the criminal's phone or the hacker's phone, whatever. And this can have major consequences, right? They can try to get in your email from this. They can reset your password of your email because typically your email says, well, if you can't get in and you want to cover your password, we'll yeah. send you a text. <laughs> yeah. so they get the yeah. text and then they can reset your email password. Now they're in your email and from there they can reset your Twitter account or your Instagram account and steal your, your stuff. And that I kind of understood is what's going on in the world. But what I'm fascinated with recently is people are using this kind of method to steal cryptocurrency or other digital assets, um, such as getting into your bank account and wiring money to somewhere else and stuff like that. So it's really becoming sort of a scary place to just be attacked in this way. All the private notes you've sent to people or to yourself, I mean, sometimes we send private messages to, to our just to ourselves yeah. as sort of reminders or let's take a picture of that so that we have that you know and that could be your driver's license or or some uh, important document that's like this is just private to me but i'm going to take a picture of it and send it I've to myself my and email to myself i'm just thinking that as you're saying <laughs> yeah yeah and so th they look at other things too like maybe they can get into your netflix account or your chipotle account or your hilton honors account or your apple pay account and if they can get into any of these now they can sell that stuff they can sell your netflix account to someone else and then someone else can start logging in on your netflix account and they get they paid like two dollars for it or made two dollars off of it right or a chipotle account can be sold to someone else who can then order burritos on your account so you have your credit card in the chipotle oh or whatever and so that's your account um hilton honor same thing right you can get free night stay by claiming you're this person and this is your Hilton Honors um, account and log in and set up the night and then it goes to someone else's billing or whatever, you know, and Apple Pay or something too. You could do a lot of damage in a very short period of time, couldn't you? Yeah, because you can just set that up on someone else's yeah. phone and say, yep, I have your Apple Pay stuff here. And so every time you go to the store, you can just swipe the phone and pay with that. So, uh, yeah, I mean, they're not just looking at crypto. I mean, they're stealing cryptocurrency if they can, but they're looking at tons of other things in your email to just steal and make money off of. And that's, I think, the story I'm fascinated with that when I just recently published, it's called Dirty Comms, and that goes into that. So the SIM swapping, I'm just trying to work out that. I mean, I guess that's a social engineering issue because the point of weakness there is the person on the other end of the phone who they have to convince that they're you in order to swap. Mm -hmm. So as an individual, I, w what can I do? I can't do anything about that. Someone can ring up a company and give them a sob story and say, I need a new SIM for my phone. How can I protect myself mm -hmm. against that? I can't, can I? Can I? 
Well, yeah, it's it's pretty tricky. I mean, you can call the company and say, put an extra security feature on this. Okay. Like, I'll give you like a, a password, pin extra code. pin or something. Yeah. yeah. And unless I have this, don't swap, don't swap it over. So you can add some extra layers of, of protection. Um, but still, people are getting around that. And some of the ways they're doing it is that they have an insider at the phone company, like a branch manager or, or a regional manager. And that person is in these circles. And that person might get paid $40,000 to SIM swap three numbers one yeah, day. Because it's worth that, that. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah, 40,000 each yeah. even. Yeah, because it's worth that because they're going to steal a million dollars from each of these numbers yeah. if they can get into that person's crypto wallet or something like that, right? So sometimes branch managers make a whole year's worth of salary just by, you know, doing three SIM swaps. <laughs> and it's it's really wild. Like, how are you going to combat that? And so I interviewed some of these people who are actually doing this sort of thing on my show to hear some of this inside stuff. And another way they're doing a SIM swap is just running into a mobile phone store grabbing the tablet from the employee's hands, running back to the car, jumping in, squealing your tires away, and then taking that to like a real close by hotel and just as fast as they can, because that's the tablet that's used to activate new yeah, phone numbers and to move phone numbers over. And so with that in their hands, they can do whatever they wanted. They can swap all the kinds of numbers and stuff like that. And so it's really a wild racket that's happening. That's the 21st and, century uh, equivalent of the diamond heist, isn't it? Of the guys that threw the yeah, brick really through is. the jewelry window and grabbed all the watches. They're now, and that's yeah. why I'm fascinated with it, because there's only been about a half dozen people who have been arrested doing this. And so it's just such a new crime that it's just, it's just wild. Yeah. It's just wild. God, incredible. I, I'm feeling like I'm falling into a, <laughs> the definitely the dark side of the internet talking to you about this, Jack. I've got two final questions that I ask all podcast guests. It's going to be really fascinating to hear what you say, given that this is what you do for a living. Um, do you have three words to sum up your own relationship with tech? Oh, three words. Um, <laughs> love, hate, <laughs> um, and really fun, <laughs> just fun. Yeah, I've, I've had a few people saying love and hate. And what have you learned about yourself, if anything, from your relationship with your smartphone? Because we've all got quite complicated relationships with mm -hmm. our smartphones, I think. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm the person who says, oh, security, privacy, security, privacy, like all the way to home. But what I've learned is that I don't buy the most secure and private phone. I buy one that seems to have the most features mm -hmm. and is easiest to use. And I guess that that teaches me that features and ease of use are more important than privacy and security and to me. Wow. And I'm yeah. And I feel so strong about privacy and security. So I'm so frustrated by learning this about me. That, you know, I could get a phone that doesn't have these features. I can get a phone that doesn't back up my photos to the cloud. I can remove that option if I wanted. But now I've got to find another way to back up my photos and back up my contacts or whatever the, the data I have on my phone because I don't trust the cloud services. Mm -hmm. And I really don't, but I don't have the time or the patience to go get all this other backup service started. And, and then, you know, I've got to self administer it by having my own hard drives at home and systems and stuff that that would work with so it frustrates me that, <laughs> that you're just I, like I the rest of us phone. basically 
yes. <laughs> a sucker for a really nice looking phone. What would be the most secure phone out of interest? Well, yeah, there's there's privacy phones out there that aren't connected to Google or Apple, and they have a very limited feature set. Mm. They don't allow for insecure kind of stuff that's happening, and they don't collect any data. So just with Google Android phones and, and iPhones, Google and Apple are collecting tons and tons of data yeah. on us. Even just having like Google Maps open or, or Apple Maps, um, that stuff is going back to their systems, and then they're telling other users like, hey, there's, you know, this person's traveling pretty slow on this road. There's probably come some congestion here. Let's tell other Google Maps users that there's congestion at this location. And that's how, you know, Google Maps tells you that there's traffic jams and stuff mm -hmm. like that because there's other users reporting their data to it. And so that's kind of a cool feature that, well, well you can see that the traffic is, is bad here. And so you kind of want to be part of this ecosystem, feeding it for other users and drivers and stuff too. But uh, it's it's one of those like, do I really want my exact yeah. location shared with other companies and stuff like that? I've been really interested. I'm watching a lot of crime drama recently and noticing how in the last few years, so much of it hinges around the phone. So the criminals saying, make sure you leave your phone behind. Don't bring your phone with you. The police using the phone <laughs> to track where the criminals mm -hmm. are. And yeah, it's a whole new thing that's developed into crime you know how we track people and how they are permanently trackable if they have their phones with them how can people find out more about you jack and about your podcast yeah so the podcast is called darknet diaries and you can listen to it at darknetdiaries.com or wherever you listen to podcasts it's really excellent i have to say very very gripping as i said it's like serial that's how i feel you can't kind of put it down <laughs> when you're listening to it yeah, I mean, I add all kinds of music into mm. it, and I interview the people who were there, and I and I narrate in between it, and add some extra points and stuff. So it, it is kind of built in that same way. And I was uh, inspired by Serial in This American Life wow. Radio Lab. Yeah, that no, is fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming on. It's been absolutely brilliant. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Tanya. Thank you for listening to this episode of It's Complicated. If you haven't already, please do subscribe, rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. It helps new people find us and it means you get a helpful notification whenever a new episode drops. For more about getting a healthy balance with tech, you can follow me, Tanya Goodin, or Time to Log Off on Instagram and Twitter. And my latest book, my Brain Has Too Many Tabs Open is available at Amazon and at all good bookshops. Finally, for more information about this and other episodes in the podcast series, visit itstimetologoff.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.